In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from a very hot Los Angeles, California, and welcome to episode 357. This week on the show, we start things off with creative duo Lola Tango. That's Jessica Cantor and Eve Weston, whose current project is the interactive museum exhibit Be Water, My Friend, an exploration of the mind and spirit of martial arts superstar Bruce Lee, currently on display at the Wing Luke Museum in Seattle. Where, where I think it might be cooler than where I am right now. Uh, then the review crews, Patrick McLean and I, settle in for a long chat this Labor Day weekend about what we've been playing separately and together in VR of late. That would be Walkabout Mini Golf's Labyrinth Course, Polyarch's Moss Book 2, and the tabletop dungeon crawl simulator Demio, which recently added a two-player mode and indeed was the inspiration for this segment. Uh, hopefully this will keep you entertained on any long car rides you might have or while blissfully sitting by an air conditioner which i'm so jealous right now all of this is brought to you by our patreon backers hey can you tell it's hot uh <laughs> All of this is brought to you by our Patreon backers at patreon.com slash no proscenium. Our latest backers are Jeremy Thompson and Jonathan Burke. Thank you both for helping us get the needle going in the right direction once more. Look, folks, we've got a goal of just three new backers each week this spooky season in order to get us ready for 2023. It's just a modest three a week. How hard can that be? Some, sometimes very hard. Three a week. For, for all of spooky season in order to get us ready for 2023, if you can, hit up patreon.com slash no proscenium, or if you're already a backer or you just can't commit financially, help spread the word about our work. Reviews at Apple iTunes help, particularly when they're five-star reviews, because, you know, it's either a one or a five-star and if you want to do a one-star, just, just stop listening. It's okay. Um... <laughs> And also the kind of work we do, uh, or just or just spread around the work, spread around, say, the review rundown, uh, which you can find at No Proscenium, or articles like the new No Pro Recommends Best of 2022 So Far list, which we've got over at the Everything Immersive. You can find it on the front page of Everything Immersive right now. It's a great starter deck for Immersive, and that thing's going to update as we get more shows that we absolutely love. Uh, and, and try and guide people through this ever-changing immersive universe. You can find all the links in the show notes. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Ari Hurston, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, who I got to talk to this week, He's doing some fascinating work, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. I haven't talked to you some to some of you in a while, so hit me up. Love to chat. And yeah, you're going to get a lot of me uh, when Patrick and I are talking. So let's end this and let's get into the podcast. Hello. 
In Seattle right now, the curious may find themselves drawn to the Wing Luke Museum, where Bruce Lee, Be Water My Friend, an interactive exhibit that invites viewers to step into the mind, body, and spirit of Bruce Lee, is currently running. Jessica Cantor and Eve Weston are the creative duo known as Lola Tango, and they're the creative directors of the project who join us on the show this week to give us the lowdown. Jessica? Hi. It's so great to be here. Eve? Hi. Really excited to talk about this with you, Noah. All right. Thanks for both of you to, for being on the show. And let's just start with the, the absolute most basic. So what is, a, Be Water, My Friend is a, is a famous quote of Bruce Lee's, but what is this exhibit? What is Bruce Lee, Be Water, My Friend? I'll go ahead and start, Eve. Um, <laughs> Bruce is incredibly dynamic, where he's more than just the martial artist that people know him as and was uh, very prescriptive in his reading and developed his mind and spirit along with his body. And so the exhibition is bringing to light a different side of Bruce, which is his extensive book collection. He had over 2,800 books in his collection, which is an incredible amount considering he passed away so so young at 32. Um, and, and he was a very active reader. Um, his daughter, Shannon, actually told us that he rarely sat still to read. He would often be found reading while stretching or reading while cooking in the kitchen. But he was also active in the sense that he would underline things that resonated with him and also write notes in the margin. And so that's actually where a lot of the inspiration for this exhibit comes from. Yeah, and, and the exhibit is really stepping into his library, literally and figuratively. Um, so when you, you walk and um, if it's helpful, we'll kind of paint a picture of the exhibition itself. Oh, please do. Uh, yeah, so when you, when you walk in, you'll see um, a cutout of Bruce's iconic jump pose. And behind it is a stacking of his actual library books so that uh, somebody could step up and look at the titles and start to see that it's everything from how to work out in bed to you know ancient philosophies and how to work out in bed is actually like for when you hurt your back and you can't get out of bed it is not a sexual title <laughs> but i just love that one so much that i always bring it up um, and then we we walked and there through. were books on there were books on business and elocution and i mean it just the list goes on poetry yeah lots of poetry, lots of boxing, um, every kind of physical fitness, because he cared more just than about himself, but about training children and women and all sizes of people, um, shapes and sizes. So he had books pertaining to all of that. Um, and then the exhibition continues um, to to understand the origin of his Be Water quote as a child. And so it's his writings on the wall of how he was inspired by his teacher to go off and think about, about what it what it meant to to be I'm trying to think of the right word, Eve. Uh, <laughs> um, like, well, I mean, I, I think if I remember correctly, it was that he was he was putting in so much effort to try and do what his teacher was instructing him to do. And it, it's sort of like the thing he needed to work on was making less effort in a way, right? Because the idea was to be water, that you're not, you're not acting or reacting as much as you're sort of like absorbing is maybe, is that a way yeah. to put it? 
Yeah, and I think the metaphor for the story is that his teacher gave him the space to teach himself, to mm -hmm. come up with his own philosophy. And that's something that stuck with him his entire life is this wanting to continue to learn and evolve and grow as a creator. Um, and then that took us, takes us or the museum goer into the interactive portion of the exhibition um, where we have three, I guess we're calling them lily pads or little, little circles mm -hmm. that have a projection map of moving water. And when sort of virtual the, puddles in a way, yes, virtual puddles and separated into mind, body and spirit. And when you step on the puddle, a quote that he has underlined from one of the books um, appears, almost floats to the surface. And then on the wall in we a projection of how he incorporated that quote into his life. Um, and so there's, you know, a series of them in mind, body and spirit. And hopefully over time, we'll continue to even grow that library of information. So when you say the 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 how he incorporated into his life appears on the wall. Is that a, is that a textual thing? Is it, is there a piece of, of video? Is there something that's like, so, no, that's generated? a great question, Noah. It's a little bit of everything and it changes depending on the quote. So in some cases it is textual. In some cases it's, we actually project Bruce's writings from the margin, right? So on the ground will be the quote that he underlined. And then on the wall, you'll see, what he wrote in relationship to that quote so you can better understand how he was thinking about it and how he felt it applied to his life and his work. Um, and then sometimes that text of his writings is also combined with images. And sometimes if maybe he didn't write in the margins on that one, then we might just see images. And those images could be photos from his life, uh, video from his life or from his work or artifacts from his life, you know, pictures or scans of things that were relevant or important to him. I, I'm, I feel like maybe his report cards came up at some point. I know they were in the museum. I'm trying to remember if we used them yeah. in quotes, but things like that or, and drawings. They're, they're his training cards. So like okay. he had like how many push-ups, how many sit-ups, like there was, he was very prescriptive also in how he trained. Um, so that definitely came up and, you know, different, um, like his kind of business card, his calling card came up, um, different sequences of fight material came up. It was really interesting process working with the Bruce Lee Foundation and their archival database and seeing sometimes that that video and image that they chose wasn't the obvious one for the quote. Like um, like in the in the margin he wrote about be water. And so I would just assume they would take the video from the Peter Bar B Burton interview where he spoke the be water quote. Um, and instead they picked some imagery from his life of when he was physically acting in that way. So um, I thought it, it was surprising um, to us or to as we were creating the different wall projections. What was the and actually, oh, oh, go for it. I was just thinking, it might be nice, Jessica, since you mentioned that quote, that I could just quote that for you right now, because I think it does uh, sort of embody the philosophy, right? He says, be water, my friend, empty your mind, be formless, shapeless, like water. You put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it into a teapot, it becomes the teapot. 
Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. So just in case anyone listening hadn't heard that, I think it is, it is a powerful statement um, and it really does speak to how he thought about it. What was the brief that y'all got when you, you got so, this project? So it was, it's interesting because the project started years and years ago, pre, pre-pandemic, um, uh, due to a conversation I had with Shannon, who is a friend of mine. Um, and she wanted to create an interactive exhibition and that's sort of how it started. And she wanted it to be around the Be Water quote. She wrote a book at the same time that was released. uh, It was supposed to be released around the same day and date as the museum exhibition, but the pandemic happened and she wanted to be super interactive and broken down into mind, body and spirit. And so that's kind of how it started. Um, We did a a ton of ideation about what mind would look like, you know, what body would look like, what spirit would look like. And at first it was a library and a physical fitness room and a spirit. And each of them had interactive design. Um, And we were kind of went out to raise additional capital um, sponsorship for the exhibition together. Then the pandemic hit and we, kept pushing and nobody was investing in experiential. Um, We had to rethink the creative. We wanted to rethink the creative to be touch free um, Mm -hmm. and not be something where people would have to gather too much around a certain, certain thing. Um, And then in the course of all of this, Eve and myself became a duo (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and started working on stuff together. And so um, so that happened and Eve and and so I brought I brought Eve into the fold and it was amazing to have an additional perspective as we were diving into each of these concepts. Then we had the reality of the space of the room and realized we couldn't have a separate interaction for mind, body and spirit um, just due to space constraints. Um, and then Bruce the Wing Luke Foundation became the home of Bruce Lee's library, all kind of as this idea that that Eve and I started I bring to life about how the library itself would be something we could step into. And I think Eve made this amazing point, and I'll let her expand upon it. As like when we're in a museum, having books yeah. and being able to read them can be completely overwhelming. And so how yeah. do we, yeah, so I mean, I'll let you. <laughs> I mean, I love books and I love museums and still I don't really want to go to a museum and then see a bunch of books behind glass cases and try to read what's on the page, not to mention the fact that you could only see one page per book, right? It's not very engaging, even for people who love to read. Um, And I think, you know, when I came on board, there was also this idea floating around of like, well, maybe we, you know, we do have digital scans of the books, we could put them on iPads, but still, you know, only one person at a time can can really see what's on the iPad screen. And then you have this feeling of people are waiting to get to it. Um, and, you know, and the other thing about like books in the room, it can feel overwhelming. And so we really wanted to try and, and eliminate some of those frustrating feelings and think about how we could make it easy for visitors to access a lot of content at the same time 
have them not feel overwhelmed by the amount of content. Um, and so there are several things that we really love about the way that this ended up coming together. And one of them is that, is that it allows you to focus. Um, it contains, you know, quite a lot of his quotes and, and philosophy and lets you learn a lot about him, but it's not overwhelming. So, you know, there are three puddles that you can, you can step onto and you're only doing one at any given moment. Um, and you have a moment to sort of sit with that quote that comes up before the projection on the wall even comes up, giving you more information. So you take the moment with that quote and you can think about it and think about how it relates to you. And then the projection comes up on the wall and then you can really see and think about how, you know, how Bruce interpreted this quote and what it meant to him and what it, and how he implemented it in his life. And then in order to get to the next one, you have to step off and step back on. And that kind of gives you a moment to think about how you might apply that philosophy, um, those ideas in your life. And then you can step back on and you can get a new, a new quote, or you can move to, you know, a different area. You can move to mind or you can move to spirit. Um, and so that level of like focus and meditation was really nice and with, and a well-paced way to access a lot of information. Um, the other thing I'll talk about, and Jess, I, I can let you finish your thought, but uh, is the kinetic nature of the exhibit. But um, did you, I, I'll let you pick up if there was something else you wanted to say on that note. Yeah, I mean, the, it was really, I think, you know, important to both myself and Eve that the museum goer is active in the exhibition um, for a mm. myriad of reasons. Um, and I think Eve is really good at summarizing it um, <laughs> about kinetic learning and yeah. how yeah, physicality helps your brain space open up. And I mean, we go to museums to learn about something and, you know, especially when there's an overwhelming amount of information, it can be hard to remember it. But frankly, you know, any, you know, anything can takes, it takes some thought or some effort to remember. And so it's actually been shown that movement helps us to remember things. That's why so many people take notes when they're listening to a lecture or even just doodle, right? Even just that act of writing on a piece of paper, even if what you're writing is not at all related to what you're listening to, can actually help you remember things. Um, and so in, in addition to that idea of, of, of allowing for focus in the exhibit, we are, we've also made sure to include this element of interactivity so that you're moving while you're taking in this information, which will give you a better chance of retaining it when you move back out into the real world. And, and hopefully not just a better chance of retaining it, but also a better chance of you being able to apply those ideas in your life. Um, because there are so many wonderful and valuable ideas. I know Jessica and I both had some that, you know, that while we were doing our research stuck with us and, and we were like, oh my gosh, I definitely want to apply this in my work and in my life. So how did you two become a duo? <laughs> um, so it, it started with the look club. Well, it started with coffee first, Jessica, if we want to well, be. <laughs> I think it started in Israel. Okay. That's true. Um, we we went on uh, one of the Schusterman Foundation's trips. Um, I think they only did it one year, the Beyond Reality group, where 50 or so, um, I guess they say influencers in VR and AR were taken on a 10-day trip to Israel. And Eve and I met there. Um, we both were like, what do you do? And we're like, we, we write stories and create 
narrative work in the immersive space. And we both looked at each other almost like competition and scoffed and <laughs> moved in the opposite directions. Um, and then turned out we lived very close to one another at the time in Santa Monica and we kept running into each other and realized that working together would be more fun than walking in the opposite direction from one another. And I think that started, and then, you know, we started having coffee, talking about immersive media, things that we'd seen and um, had a and very- that that was that was sort of unique, that people in the broader world weren't really doing that yet, especially with regard to VR content, that there wasn't really a conversation about VR content, partly because a lot of people didn't know it was there. Mm. And it was hard to find and yeah. if you didn't see it at a festival or, you know, there wasn't the way VR was being promoted. And I think still is promoted. It's the gimmick and not the content that's inside of the headset. Oh yeah. You, 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 do, you do have to preach to me on that one. Like it drives <laughs> me up the wall that most of the coverage is still around the, the, the headsets and like the specs and whatnot. And like almost no one ever talks about the art or about the stories or the gameplay it's just, you know, you're there, you're there, you're there. Isn't it amazing that you're there? It's like, well, we've, we've been there for like the better part of a decade now. Like there's actually yeah. plenty of really interesting stuff going on. Uh, and it, But if no one's talking about the interesting stuff going on, it, it just feels like everyone's being, you know, sold a toaster. Uh, like, <laughs> I already got a toaster. I don't need another toaster. Yeah. I've already got a video game machine. I don't need another video game machine. You know, like, why would I want this? And and no one does a good job of explaining why people would want this. Yeah. And so I feel lucky to be on this podcast. because I, I feel like here we're preaching to the choir. Right. But um, but a lot of people don't know that there are there are great stories being told in virtual reality and in immersive media. And so we wanted to, you know, to get out there and raise our voices to try to raise awareness of the stories uh, being told in virtual reality and, um, yeah, I make them easier to find and, and that sort of thing. And so we started a project called the look club, which is online at the look.club. Um, and it's a searchable database of immersive narrative, um, searchable by, you know, sort of the usual suspects like name and director and genre, but then also, um, unique things to like, like, um, what platform it's on or whether, you know, whether it requires a headset or can be seen on a 2D screen or is in real life, right? Those sorts of things. And it's also searchable by um, its classification and the taxonomy of experience. So, you know, if you, if you want to have an, do an, an immersive story experience where you are a player or a character in the show, you can actually search by that. But if you prefer to not be an entity, in this in the space, you know, kind of like an invisible ghostly presence, like you can search for by that as well. Um, and and there's you know there's more, but that's kind of what we were working on. Um, so it was both a searchable database, and then there was also a review show component too, um, kind of exploring immersive narrative um, in depth and talking about the filmmakers' choices and, you know, what where it was effective and where it could be more effective. Because, um, you know, Jessica mentioned that we we're both writers and creators, and we're also directors in this space as well. So um, so that was a fun project to do together. And it actually just so happened that, like, just as we were launching it, the, the pandemic hit. And so we, um, not only do we spend a lot of time working together and, and doing these productions, right? Because the review show was an actual show that we filmed um, on a weekly basis. Um, but uh, but we were, you know, 
we became a much larger part of each other's lives, right? Because the rest of the world was suddenly sh shut out. So uh, we were, yeah, we were regular. Uh, yeah, we were, we were Zoom mates, basically. We were Zoom mates. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like sometimes we even just turn on Zoom and eat dinner together um, just so we have the company. And um, yeah, and, and then an opportunity came up for for us to work on a project together um, and we, or, you know, for us to, to approach multiple projects together um, with a production company called Hilo, they were looking to sign more, more female talent from what we heard. And so we did an interview and got a trial job and we really enjoyed working together. We found that our approaches augmented each other's work and, um, and it was more fun to do it together than to do it alone. Yeah. No, I think that was really true. And it was exciting when we were doing the look club to just see how much we, we accomplished together. You know, I think that was a big part of it. And it was like, wait a minute, <laughs> we can accomplish twice as much or do it twice as fast. Um, so that, yeah, that was really a pleasure. And then, then working with Hilo sort of solidified that and got us really excited about, um, you know, bigger projects. Well, that's fantastic. It's, it's good to hear that some good came out of pandemic mode. It makes it feel like the last couple of years weren't all for naught. So, yeah. and uh, well, you know, so like we and we were in that early phase of people exploring quote virtual production, right? So I don't think we got as much attention as like you know Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon or you know those folks. But if you're curious to see our efforts, uh, you know, you can check out our our YouTube channel, The Look Club. Um, and see how, how we handled those challenges. All right. Well, uh, Bruce Lee, Be Water, My Friend, is at the Wing Luke Museum right now. How how long is it running for? At least a year. Oh, um, fantastic. Potentially longer. The foundation and the the Bruce Lee Foundation and the Wing Luke Museum um, have created, have turned this space into a permanent exhibition space. And this is the first of the exhibitions in that space. And so um, it also, you know, the funding question, they ended up self-funding the project. Um, so, you know, it was it was an expensive endeavor for both to create something immersive more so than what they had spent previously. And so I think they want to make sure they get the most out of it. Um, and so we were really careful to build it in a way that it could continually grow so we can mm -hmm. refresh it with new artifacts and um, continue, people could return and, and get more surprise and delight as they interacted with those little ponds. Well, fantastic. Well, anyone who's up in Seattle who hears the show and hasn't been by yet, they should go check it out. And anyone who's going through Seattle, uh, you've got another stop on the agenda. Jessica, Eve, thank you both for uh, coming on the show this week. Oh, thank you so much for having us. It's really a pleasure to talk to someone who is equally as excited about immersive storytelling and immersive experiences. Yes, thank you. As you know, from time to time, we like to check in with the team at No Pro. Sometimes we do a whole separate podcast called Review Crew. Right now, I've got one of the members of the crew, uh, my partner in crime in VR, definitely 
completely seriously <laughs> partner of crime in, D- in VR. That'd be Patrick McLean, also known as our Chicago curator, and uh, who's uh, who stepped into uh, part of Catherine's shoes, helping uh, do some of the the traffic for NoPro. How's it going, Patrick? Very good. I'm very excited to talk about some of the things that we've got on the agenda. Oh, yeah. I expect this is going to go long uh, since uh, we've spent many an hour in VR together lately. Quite um, recently, yes. Yes. Uh, so just 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 so you know, uh, the three big things we're going to talk about today are going to be uh, Walkabout Mini Golf's Labyrinth uh, expansion. Uh, we're also going to talk about Moss uh, Book 2, which came out recently. There was a podcast episode with the developers. And then we're going to talk about Demio, which is the thing we've been spending the most time together doing in VR. Uh, Demio which is a, um, a kind of a tabletop role-playing game simulator uh, of a sort. Um, but first, just wanted to start off with the fact that like VR is having another little moment, kind of feels like. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's because we're spending, I'm spending more time and you're spending more time, but there's, there's a lot going on right now. Doesn't I completely agree because I feel like there's an influx of kind of like community building occurring in some of these topics we're going to be talking about some of these games we're talking about and then additionally i've noticed there's an influx of maybe like older games that were only pc exclusive coming to the quest in particular and i think Mm. that's like just blooming the library quite a bit in regards to what people can do and be playing in vr right now and and this weekend when this is dropping this is labor day weekend this is dropping there's a couple of big events going on that have VR components. So the Venice International Film Festival, for instance, has Venice Immersive. We talked uh, with the curators of that last week. Uh, in a week to come, we're going to have some of the creators of pieces on the show. Uh, I've already got to check out one of the pieces in it, but there's also a part that's going to be accessible to the whole public. There's a whole VR chat world showcase that they're doing. Uh, which is fully accessible uh, to members of the public based on the the world hop lists that they're putting out. Uh, VCATS was just like for the past you know three weeks or so closed a few a few uh, days ago. That's virtual markets. It's this uh, virtual goods sale showcase. Mostly people selling off avatars and objects for use inside VR chat. Uh, built some amazing worlds in there. Uh, just really some incredible stuff uh, to be seen. Like uh, the mall of the future exists <laughs> in VR chat. And then uh, <laughs> over in alt space, uh, 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 Burning Man VR is back uh, because Burning Man's on right now. So uh, as we're talking, it's possible to go to the virtual playa uh, in alt space. Uh, thanks to BRC uh, Big Rock Creative, uh, who are uh, in making that available again this year. And I, I should go pop my head in and see what's up. I, I think there's there's probably a few uh, really clever things going on there, as there usually are each year. Um, and a great place to discover things. Like, that's what really I love about Burning Man VR is that they've gotten better in regards to having maybe some portals. So, like, you, you enter the digital playa, and then there's a couple – signs in regards to maybe places you can go but there's other ways into those worlds but then once there they're just such a great well thought out constructed space that also has a lot of interactivity that's what always surprises me about burning man vr is how these worlds because sometimes in the virtual world spaces they're really cool places to visit and that's it but then some of these have really tried to take use of like being able to interact with the environment and do things together with other people's 
other people randomly. And I think that's what makes it such a really cool thing to check out. And I'm excited. It's Burning Man VR all over again. It's yeah. Another year's flown by. <laughs> another year's flown by. I know. I know. And it's it's interesting because like alt space and VR chat have they they do want to having very different cultures. Um, I mean, there's there's some places where things are are, are similar, but uh, part of that comes from the fact that you know a lot of the focus on VR chat is on uh, avatar self expression, right? You yes. know, and and that's a, that's a huge part of it, um, and and a, and a social pressure as well. Right. Like I feel the social pressure of having a cool avatar or the right avatar or the right scaled avatar. Like I was going around VCATs and like it felt like everyone was like, it felt like the world was built to be like two thirds the scale of the avatars I was wearing. And they were my standard avatars. So I was kind of wondering, was something off? But I was uh-huh. going around these like little Japanese market stalls <laughs> and there were very small like i felt like i felt like gandalf and hobbiton you know is what i felt like well, and it's, uh, looking for it, that shire weed um yeah and it's a callback basically to what we talked about in revisiting snow crash uh earlier this year in our book club in regards to like you know in that book there's the people who are have all these avatars that are self-expressive and they've put money and time and effort into and then anyone can dial into uh, the snow crash vr world but they're in black and white and it usually means they're like on the dial up like public phone booth type setup so i think it's fascinating that that's come up here again but yeah yeah, it's definitely all about who you are in that space especially with the uh, we met in vr documentary that's on hbo right now yeah, which if you haven't watched, go watch that. That'll give you everything you need to know. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then and then yeah, like the alt space because it's picking from a standard selection, uh, which some people can manage to really recreate themselves. I can't. So <laughs> weirdly enough, I'm just a doughy white guy, and in some for some reason <laughs> I can't find myself in alt space. But I've seen a bunch of my friends have been able to, to the point where I like. I, Famously, you know, the first Burning Man in VR, I saw Landon Zakheim from across the way. And I'm like, oh, look, there's Landon. And it's like he hadn't met up in <laughs> VR yet, but it looked like Landon. And it, it was. So just fun stuff like that. Um, but but it does wind up meaning that there's usually kind of, you know, a, a temple attraction. And Burning Man VR in particular is great for uh, the dialogue it's having with the installation artists. Um so yeah, that stuff's going on right now. You can find that in the show notes. Uh, you can find that in this week's Trailheads. Thanks uh, to Chris Woolman. In fact, that's how I'll link it. So go to the Trailheads, and from there uh, you'll you'll get to other fun stuff. Um, also, want to point out that uh, Red Matter Two just dropped, and uh, so so you know, Patrick, I did I did drop money on the bundle. Uh, so okay. I, I've now got Red Matter and Red Matter Two because. Uh, red matter never seduced me in the first place. Like I was just like, oh, I don't know so much. And it's been on for three years. And, and, and I was like, well, okay, maybe I think also I might've been getting it confused or maybe it is based off like a different, like a shooter with a similar name. Maybe it is. No, there, just, there, I, I, I think there is an old like PS2 game called red matter or red something that I, I, I know yeah. exactly what you're red faction. I think red, fa- that's what's been buggy red faction. That's what was stuck but, in my brain this entire time. Like I just thought I kept on thinking, look, because I'm an old gamer grog at this point, 
I kept on thinking Red Matter was just a quest remake of Red Faction for some reason. I didn't get that there was like this this puzzle game. But I saw the I saw the trailer for Red Matter 2 and I was getting Vader Immortal vibes. And I was like, wait a second, why why, why didn't I? I, I do think this? Red Matter one suffered from a little bit of like advertising how what is this? How do we sell it? How do we package it into a maybe 60 second trailer to convey everything so i'm really excited that their bundle two is out that we've got a sequel and they're bundling it together to kind of help really explain what it is well they did they did bundle it together but that sale unfortunately is over by the time you hear this so uh sorry everybody uh hopefully there'll be there'll be some more options down the road uh and and that's come through um yeah, so it was a long like what's up in general, but uh, on to our 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 three leads for the week. Yeah, uh, and the first thing we're going to talk about is from Mighty Coconut, who, as this point many of you might know, is the makers of Walkabout Mini Golf, which kind of I think many ways took the VR world by storm. It, it's been around for a while, but I think one of the things that happened was that the pandemic really fueled some success into this game because it was one of the few accessibly easy quest games to play with friends. Like there are a lot of experiences in VR that listeners out there. And I know, you know, have experiences that getting the group together in the same chat in the same game can be very difficult, but walkabout mini golf has always made it incredibly simple to do that. Like you just create a code, you share it with your friends, boom, they're, they're in there with you. And it's so easy to do. It's so, it's so easy that it makes me angry when there are (laughs) games that don't have that. And, and they're, I won't say it right now, what our room is, but the room codes are persistent as well. So like, you know, for instance, if you're a member of the NoPro Discord, there's a couple of room code names that we have listed in our Discord for pickup games that theoretically you could just drop those in at any old time and maybe find other people or just say, hey, I'm going to go to this room code right now if anyone wants to join me. Because you can just go putter around by yourself until someone emerges. Yeah. You know? Well, and I, so that's a big part of it, too. And then another thing is that they, it's just a really fun concept in regards to their stylization because i think once again sometimes vr you know it how we need to really recreate something and really make it what it would be in the world but then sometimes it's over exaggerated and i think walkabout mini golf has successfully balanced the two by having courses classic simple mini golf courses but in just exotic locations like in cherry blossom area like on an island where you go up the mountain down the island you're shooting like uh balls okay, around but, but, a gothic but, castle but what we're here to talk about exactly is that they've recently released uh a course designed and inspired by jim henson's labyrinth and uh you i believe the most excellent the other- fantastic movie one of the one of the great classics of the fantasy g- genre um you know, definitely, and also hugely influential, um, and starring David Bowie and and Jennifer Connelly. So hugely influential in a in a totally different way for an entire generation of young people. <laughs> yeah, and they've introduced this course that is essentially 
it's been 20 years since I saw the movie. Um, again, I, I decided to go in cold when I played the course with uh, our good friend Leah Davis. And I was just kind of shocked in regards to this course because two primary things, I think. I thought, one, how they captured the experience of going through the movie. Because uh, mm-hmm. one thing we always talk about on you know Review Crew, and I know you think about a lot, is onboarding. It's such a clever thing that they start you in the house. In Sarah's uh, house. Uh, yeah. In Sarah's house. And you have to walk out. You have to walk out and go a little bit. And there's the course. And then in the background, you see the labyrinth. You see the castle upon high and everything. And with capturing like the tone of it perfectly and then having the accessibility of mini golf and what has made this game so great was just a like a peanut butter and chocolate combination, I thought. I mean, yeah. what did you think of playing these courses? Oh my goodness. I mean, so this, it, it feels like exactly what you want walkabout mini golf to be, which is this, this missing link between a mini golf course and a theme park attraction because yes. it's, it's the biggest course they've done so far. You can actually go off track and just go get lost in the labyrinth um for and you can really really get lost like it is very good that there's a button you can push to bring yourself back to the it's, ball it's massive like you're under yeah. like it's humongous yeah. i mean we, i mean it, it's compared to a uh another walkabout mini golf level it's humongous compared to and also i'd say compared to say most like vr chat worlds i've been in yes. most 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 virtual worlds i've been in aren't as big as this uh, definitely don't have as much uh, going on as this does, and it's it's seamless. You know, you can you can go on for forever and not quite forever in a day, but you can go on for quite some time. And uh, there's there's like there's there's basically like you know three large thematic zones, if you will, from one point of view. Uh, there's there's the outer edge of the of the labyrinth. Uh, actually, it's more like four. There's like the outer edge of the labyrinth. Then there's sort of like the narrative transitional stuff. Then there's the town outside the castle. And then there's uh-huh. the castle itself. And as it is with most uh, mini walkabout setups, there's a day course and a night course. And the night course you get by either, I think, getting par on all the the holes good luck with that uh yeah or uh just in general particularly here uh or collecting all of the hidden balls that are around and then once you unlock the night course i think the night course while way more difficult than the day course uh is far more gorgeous um and and it there's major cosmetic changes uh it's it's an have you gotten to play night? No, I so I have, I've not played. Okay. So I'm I'm sitting here raptured. I, I'm gonna okay. So I'm not gonna spoil all of night for you or or, or or any of it. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say there was parts of day, or there was a specific part about day that I was disappointed in, and I won't say what it is. But anyone who's played all the way through can probably know. Whereas while while I in, I enjoyed sort of the moment we got at a certain point, I really wanted something else for that part of the course. And at night you get it. And it's, 
it's kind of cute to see how they do it. And it's it's very mini golf how they do it, but they do it as opposed to in um in day they don't. So that alone, and and mind you, the cost of admission here for this DLC is three bucks. And so it, it costs almost nothing. And, uh, and I learned so that much. if you have a regular group of people you play mm-hmm. with with mini golf, you only one person needs to own the course yeah you won't be able to collect the balls or unlock like the level because of it but someone can just one person in your group can have it and that allows the other three players to experience this which i think is such a wonderful community building experience their business model is so heartwarming so delicious i hope it's working for them because exactly right if you want to play with friends only one of you needs it the the incentive is to be able to play play it whenever you want and also you know, invite other people in particularly to the night course and then there's also a there's a hidden uh there's like a there's what they call the fox hunt so there's a um a treasure hunt uh through the each of the, each of the courses actually and the reward reward for each of the difficult each of the nighttime courses has a treasure hunt and the reward for those is a special club so during the day you're collecting different golf balls and at night you're collecting other stuff but if you go through that course uh you'll get a special golf you know a, a putter at the end and it'll be themed to uh the stuff so like and i didn't i didn't even know all that and this, this is stuff like you know you just hear about walkabout and you're like oh, oh mini golf like that sounds fun let's do that and and they just keep on adding more stuff there's like a a driving there's so range much more to it yeah and a putter so there's 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 easy social space they've added a few more uh, avatars you, there are labyrinth themed avatars that have come with this pack which is probably another thing that you can't get if you don't have the the DLC uh so you get hoggle uh serdidimus and ludo um, which the funny thing was, was like, I'm sitting there going through them and I know that movie so well that I see the characters and I know the name and it's, oh yeah, it's Sardinimus. And I'm like, how do I know? Yeah. It's because it's burned into my brain. I saw Labyrinth at a drive-in with my dad when I was a kid, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it's one of my indelible memories. And, and the only thing that I remotely like want to like complain about I, I barely want to anymore, which is just there's only a few parts of the game where they take advantage of the fact that everyone's got their own instance uh, or they have interactive like you you do something with the ball and then something changes on the map. There's only a couple of times that happens in in the whole of it. And that does feel on one level, uh, in a, at a at a metaphysical level, it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, but it's only three dollars, so I don't want to complain too much. Uh, but it it does, you know, it, it says to me like there's so much potential here for uh-huh. this form, and uh, but also I've I play this map more than any other now at this point, because we were doing a little tourney and, and I, there are people who couldn't meet up. So I was like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll meet you. Uh, and uh, I just, I love it. I love it so much. I, lo- I I'd like to, I wish, I wish we could be playing and recording the podcast in it right now. Cause that'd be, that'd be dope. Oh but yeah. That, that we don't have the tools. I guess technically we could, it would not be easy. 
<laughs> no, it wouldn't be. And I think the other quick, like, major thought I had on this was how the licensing aspect of it, mm. because I feel like sometimes what happens is that a game or a company or a person acquires a, a, the third party popular license and they have to incorporate into their world. But what happens is, is that like, they don't sometimes match. Like what happens is, is like the example is like Mickey mouse is going to look like Mickey mouse in whatever medium, whatever form Mickey's going to appear in where I thought what was really cool here is that the characters of labyrinth, you can interact, you can see, you can watch some characters move up, out in the space of the labyrinth as you play through but they looked like they were made by the walkabout mini golf like they fit into the style still yeah. and i thought it was just really impressive that those two were able to they allowed them to make the characters look more like they belonged in a walkabout mini golf rather than having to look exactly like they did in the movie yeah i mean definitely an advantage there uh I think that it's they're I think they're dealing directly with like the Jim Henson company, yes, uh, and not probably not having to deal with you know some a, a more robust entity on that level because of course Walkabout couldn't render you know like oh the, sure Hoggle's got to look like Hoggle and it's like well I guess we'll come back at the fiftieth anniversary of, <laughs> of Labyrinth to do this yeah um uh but yeah like it's like the first time you see hoggle and you're like oh my god and it's like it's it's a slightly more refined um walkabout mini golf character but it's definitely a walkabout mini golf uh aesthetic uh character so uh it's it's really good and there's just tons of little moments one more thing about labyrinth before we go because sure. i just i just relearned this this weekend because something that like i i read once and didn't stick in my brain so I have this slight obsession with the idea of torturing myself for everyone's amusement by making myself okay. go back and and do all of the LucasArts adventure games that I never played when I was like a kid and a teenager in college because I didn't have a PC and like streaming that on Twitch um, as something to amuse the no pro audience because I do when I haven't played the, tried those games and I, I own them all. I've, I've all found them very frustrating. Uh, I find the design of those games incredibly frustrating in, in so many ways. Um, but I, but the the completionist part of my soul desperately wants to say that I've I've done them all. What I had blacked out <laughs> is that the original before Maniac Mansion, the original when they were still called Lucasfilm games, which is what they're called now, again, actually, humorously enough, the original adventure game from Lucasfilm was an adaptation of Labyrinth. It was for the Commodore 64, and I think also there might have been a Mac version of it. Even more interesting, it was developed uh, with the assistance of, I don't know the exact, some things are attributed kind of deeply, but I think it was more like, you know, they got a consulting for weekend. Douglas Adams of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fame helped with the development of the game. And it is in it is different from all of the games that would come after the so-called the what's known as the scum games, because that was the engine for it that started with the Maniac Mansion. Um, it's it's got a different interface. Uh so it plays radically differently. And it's 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 unlike anything else that's ever been made. And 
The sad thing is, is I will, I, at least for the, the long foreseeable future, I will never be able to stream this because um, it is not available per purchase on Steam. Uh, the mm -hmm. rights are probably in some kind of hell zone because Activision published it, but it was a Lucasfilm game, but of a Jim Henson company property. So try yep. So, so <laughs> lawyers, that's unite. a nightmare. Yeah, that's absolutely. A nightmare. Uh, and uh, if one were to theoretically attempt to play this game, the only reliable way to play it is to find something like an emulator software package and, uh, you know, maybe a cracked, copy and uh they frown on that on twitch you're not allowed to do that so you know like it's really interesting you can watch you can watch uh full playthroughs on youtube um or you know you can uh you know just do other things and you know yeah so um no won't get to play that for everybody but um I've watch I've, it on YouTube. In I've, between. I've dabbled in um, in in what it's all like, and I got to say, while it still has a lot of those, um, from what I can tell, those those frustrations of the, the what I call the guessing game, or game designed by <laughs> what number am I thinking of, is how a lot of those games feel like to me. Uh, there are other things, particularly in the first ten minutes, like if if you don't want to do certain things i would just encourage you to go on youtube and watch the first five or seven minutes worth of, of the game and and see what it does and it's kind of breathtaking it, it really particularly for knowing that it's a game that came out in like i want to say like 85 86 like there's some stuff going on with it sure do you think Long the kids even know what a commodore is what it was not not in not in any sense of what a commodore is they don't know what the computer is they don't know that there was a, a, a band called the commodores they, they they probably aren't watching master and commander you know like they just it is a word that has no that meaning a movie with for the russell crowe right what that was a movie with russell crowe right yeah russell crowe's in it yeah <laughs> i've actually never seen it. i heard it's very good people love it it didn't do well but like people swear by it but then again some people really love like ancient naval battles so I should watch it sometime. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of battles. Speaking of battles, uh, I'm to set you up for this. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I got to interview uh, the folks over at Polyarch uh, about their long-awaited release, Moss Book 2. Technically, uh, this is uh, it had already released on the PlayStation VR, but it finally released Request. Uh, the Moss series, uh, being Book 2, this is the second one, um, uh, tells the story of a, a adorable little mouse who's gone on an adventure. Um, the the character, uh, well, Patrick, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you. This is this. So it's Quill. Quill's the the, the mouse uh, going on this uh, fantasy adventure uh, through a, a realm of magic and uh, uh, what do we call it? Uh, anthropomorphic. Uh, creatures yes and uh it's it does a really interesting thing uh about the relationship between you and this character so you're playing a platformer uh but you are still a presence in the game uh with your perspective so so go off just talk, yeah. t tell us all about your experience because you did the review for us yeah and um what i think the, the important thing is what you touched on in regards is that 
you're, it's a platformer, yes, because you're sitting there in a fixed perspective and watching the environment and looking around. So if, like if you even kind of look to your left or your right or even straight behind you, there's nothing. It's darkness most of the time. There's nothing behind you. So you are asked to stare straight, stare straight ahead, which is typically I typically don't like that in VR, the the fixed force perspective. But what happens here is that the you start this game off with opening a book. You're in a very kind of Oxford library. There's candles on the tables and there's the old leather book and you open it up. And the story of Moss, which is what the land is called, is being told to you by a, a narrator. And you're turning the pages and you're turning the pages until essentially, as I describe it, you fall into the book and you are the reader to these animals that are living in the land of moss that, that uh, there's occasionally every you know couple years or whatever with the use of this magical glass one of the animals can see the reader that they can have an interaction that they can acknowledge each other's presence and that's what happens with quill is that quill finds herself very quickly on a larger than life adventure to save the land from many of a terrible creature but what is so wonderful about this game, and you touched on it, is the relationship you have with Quill. And this is something I feel like uh, video games, uh, VR has been constantly chasing in regards to having an interaction with the NPCs that's intimate and feels unique and that they are reactive. And Quill is so expressive in both of these games, but in particular Book 2, where it's really turned up on a notch. Uh, you know, at, cer at certain points in the battle, Quill wants holds out her hand, give it a high five. If you did really well, she'll hold it up, give her a you give her another one, and she does a little dance. But then sometimes, if you take too long and trying to figure out a puzzle, uh, she'll wave her arms and she'll start um, motioning in regards to, hey, maybe you look at that, and maybe like I need to be over there and communicating all this stuff, and it just. You really begin to care. You have you have a relationship with Quill in this one to the point where there's a tragic act one ending here. And I'm going to avoid the spoiler in regards to it, but Quill's in trouble. And I was like, I'm getting emotional thinking about this. So like my friend was in trouble and I couldn't do anything. And it was so painful to watch because I had spent the first game and up to that point of the second having such a personal relationship that every opportunity to interact I took and really cared for this, this creature, this person. I've, I played, I think like the first, I think like 25, 30 minutes of this and like totally fell in love. And then was like, I've got to get the first one. Uh, Cause I hadn't played the first one yet. And I felt again, like kicking myself for having not, you know, dialed in on. Cause I, I heard initially it's sort of the same thing, you know, like with like red matters attempt to like, you know, uh, find its audience, you know uh, I was like, Oh, it's a platformer. All right. Cool. So it's a cute little anthropomorphic platformer and you know, it's a conceit of a book and I'm like, all right, that that'll be, that'll be fine. Like, but that, I, I didn't get, I didn't get a VR headset to play platformers. Right. And, and having seen like, you know, super lucky or what tale I think was like the one that was like the original platformer on quest. And, you know, it's, it's come out on, I think PlayStation at this point. So it really feels like, oh, is this really even, you know, a platformer on VR? That's just kind of gimmicky. Um, and, 
and this is not gimmicky and no it's really well thought out i think that's what's so important is that and to your point like yeah like the trailer shows you just like running and jumping and hitting some robot bad baddies but this world is so thought out and then in regards to and and with the puzzles like when you mentioned the puzzles, right? And yeah. like the puzzles, you know, you often involve you sort of physically manipulating the space, right? So like, yes. it's almost like imagine, and, and it's a little bit abstracted, but each time you come to one of these spaces, you're, you essentially, you get this toy box or this toy playset set uh-huh. that you've then got to both figure out how to navigate this character across uh, and you will manipulate the space and you will maneuver the character. All of yeah, it feels you're, like you're guiding the character. They they feel like they have a bit of their own agency. You will you will set things up in their favor. You can you can make things work to their advantage. You've if the conceit is that you're the reader and readers have power and you're kind of this extra dimensional being, you kind of feel like an extra dimensional being who can who has godlike powers in this space. Like they've really nailed that conceit and and opened up that childlike feeling of of playing with toys well yeah you're always leaning in in these games yes. like to your physically point, like a platform, literally physically yeah, leaning in. yeah you're like every every time you come into a new environment which the other great thing is when you move from left to right or the other way around the the, the diorama space the little play space disappears there's the sound of pages turning and then the new one appears. So it's really keeping that narrative alive. But that entire time, every time you're in a new place, you're like, look, you're leaning in. You're trying to like get a perspective on like, where could Quill go? What can I move or manipulate? And then additionally, even in combat, if you feel overwhelmed, you can reach down and grab like a bad guy sneaking up on Quill behind while she's bashing another one to help protect her. Like you are, it, it's so much more than just moving a joystick. You are as you said, like godlike, you were involved, you were leaning in and very much a part of this story and a part of this world with these people. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is such a smart, smart execution on, on, you know, uh, what's a relatively straightforward concept, but it could be easily botched by trying to make it just too abstract you know like it could uh-huh. you they could have gone a direction that felt more like oh there's a button to push for each type of thing you're doing or you or, or here's a little row of keys you can smack on to like create effects here uh as if it was like you know uh, a massively multiplayer you know online role-playing game right like like the right. buttons and cooldowns and but by making it be that like no you've got to physically get involved um they've they've nailed what makes vr interesting and like i mean i'm not gonna say like a lot i don't want to play any other kind of platformers now like i'm sure i'll play other platformers they've never been my number one genre uh it it it's actually that's one of the reasons why i avoided quilf uh, avoided Moss for a while uh, was that platforms aren't my thing. You know, platformers don't really don't really do it for me anymore. I'm I'm often like, oh, I'm not a baby. I don't play Super Mario, although I really love the last Super Mario. Uh, but like, you know, uh, but this. Well, I am a and, baby, and I do want to play. 
Yeah, but even with the platformer, like there's so many games out there that you've either played or experienced. What be Mario? Like you have to be so precise and careful with your platforming. Where mm. here it really is like designed friendly. Like I was never concerned. Oh, I gotta like perfectly time quill jumping between things like that's not the point here like in the sense of yes like you've got to traverse the space in a very interesting way and you got to go up and down and sideways and down and around but it's it, it's about the it's about the journey that you take it's not about the timing in which you complete the journey it's about navigating that space and i think that's what another kind of key thing in regards to tapping into the genre in a unique way with the VR space. Cause there's also little collectibles you can find and they're hidden. And typically what needs to happen is you, the player need to like maybe bend over, look down, look up and around. Like, Oh, I moved away from the mic. That was bad. Uh, <laughs> Barely but you could do, yeah. Uh, but you could do that kind of stuff in regards to it. And I think it just, it really adds a lot. And I think this is another kind of, I great example. Now both mosses in regards to, taking what we've seen before, but really being mindful in regards to what the VR space allows us to do in this genre, you know? Yeah. So one, one thing that I think is important is sort of knowing uh, how long it takes to play through something. That's something that can also keep me away. And so I just decided yeah. to like type in here. And so it looks like if you're, if you're uh, going into to Moss um, and haven't done book one yet, and I, and I think I, I'd recommend because book they they do a good job in book two of like explaining what's happened. They completely spoil you know the the first one because they pick up literally moments after the first one ends. Yep. Um, but uh, but I I loved it so much that I you know was like compelled to like go back and 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 start from the very beginning. So the first ones. Uh, you know, if you just mainline it and don't dawdle, should be roughly about four hours. Apparently, about six and a half hours uh, to get to one hundred percent. You know, your you know your mileage may vary, obviously. And then um, a little bit more for book two, about six and a half to eight and a half um, for main and extras. So you know, roughly about seven hours total uh, f for, for Moss book two. So all in all, you're looking at, you know, just about under 12 hours of game between the two uh -huh. of them. Uh, so you know what you're getting into. Um, uh, that's an aspect that I don't think about. Well, no, that's an aspect that I always go like, oh, how long is it going to take me? And then I don't bother to look it up, but there is in fact a handy it's website for video games, uh, called, uh, how long to beat .com. <laughs> <laughs> that'll tell you Make give sure. you some estimate ranges there uh so uh that's 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 what's up if you want to if you want to jump in on moss i think that's important to know for vr headsets too because Yo, i yeah, i yeah. You gotta because once again like you're leaning forward you're leaning back i mean you said it best once to describe what the quest kind of is it's having a hot brick on your face the two the sec this current generation is much better but it's it's a light hot brick right in yeah. front of your eyes and you need to be able to take time and i think that i would say even more specifically moss is broke moss 2 is broken up into these maybe six areas overall mm. and to that eight hour playthrough it's about two hours so there's a lot of really great opportunities to take a break 
uh, which I think sometimes VR games are really bad about that. They want you to go, go, go. Don't stop. Stay in the headset until your battery's dead. And it's like my yeah. face is on fire. Yeah. The the Netflix theory of con- content. Yeah. Uh, please binge it all. Binge it all now. Um, you know, if you put it down, we know you're not going to come back. I mean, that's just, it's, it's something we got to get culturally away from. This also caused me to look up how long uh, how long is Red Matter. Uh, Red Matter one about three and a half hours, and currently Red Matter two main story six hours, so twice as long. So about nine hours of gaming ahead of me. Uh, and both these both run. both Red Matter and Moss have a lot of puzzles too. So yeah. like you know, there's there's a lot of there's some critical thinking here. You're not leaning. You're not just sitting there the entire time. You really are trying to engage yourself in yeah. other ways. No, and and. It it feels to me like we're finally at a point, and I'm going to be very curious because you know look, there's all sorts of issues around Meta as a company, and um, you know, yeah, the et cetera, and the new the new headset was sort of unceremoniously announced on you know that one podcast uh, that it would definitely come out in October, uh, you know, just offhandedly like, Oh yeah, we're going to come out with some more hardware, which sadly also kind of tells weirdly for, for someone who's like bet heavily on a, a form to like, just be casual about such things is just weird to me. Um, but like on the flip side, in terms of the pool of games and experiences that have has developed over the past few years and there's there's a lot of depth there and there's a lot of just wildly fun things to do um and it it gets me very excited that you know i feel like oh i missed red matter the first time i missed moss the first time that's okay. Here it is for people who mm-hmm. you know, haven't checked out walkabout yet. Well, here's labyrinth. And then there's going to be some Jules Verne ones coming, you know, they keep on adding to these platforms. Uh, and particularly with walkabout, it's a social platform on top of everything else. Um, and I guess so is our next one in a real way. Oh yeah, absolutely. So very recently um, in for a very particular reason, because this game has been out for several years now, but Noah and I recently be, uh, completed one campaign in Demio, which is this RPG dungeon crawling experience. And essentially, gameplay wise, you and one to three other friends can gather around the virtual table and look down at your characters that you've selected, whether it be the knight, the thief, you know, the sorcerer, so on and so forth, in regards to then exploring a deep, dark dungeon one level at a time to try to gather the and free the spirits in order to f- make the realm a better place. And what is happening is you're going around and you're moving your pieces. And this is this is essentially Dungeons and Dragons with tile pieces and characters. And I think what makes this game so amazing is like uh, Walkabout Golf, 
it is so easy to play together with other people. It really captures that essence of game night and being together um, in regards to it. Like I, 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 when I first played this game, the first session we had, I walked off and I told my partner, oh yeah, I just played a VR game. It was like a board game, like, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons. She's like, why, why would you do that? But I'm like, but I played with Noah who I would never be able to play a Dungeons and Dragons game together, like with this depth. And I think that's so yeah. amazing in, in regards to elevating an experience that you can't have otherwise. So a couple of big important things when it comes to Demio yeah. is that yes, when, when originally released, it was a four person game and just recently they've offered the two person version, which as you noted is why, why we jumped in. It's like, finally don't have to do all the scheduling to get four people together. Also, unlike walkabout, there is no like guest pass mode. Like this is, this is a, you know, $30 game if memory serves or like, Yes, it was. Yeah, yep. Yeah, uh, $29.99. Might have gotten it on sale at a hot second, but like, you know, it, it is it is a full priced, you know, quest game. And full price quest games are like are like the half the price of a console game. Uh so serious money. Uh, you know, sometimes more than like whatever hot indie PC games at the moment. Um they've have built in like all those social layers and the fact that yes. Like you and I, we could get together on Zoom or or Skype and role play. We could like get two other people together. We could do some role play on that. But and even though like I've long been more of a theatrical role player, right? Like I ran a vampire LARP in college. Like that's that's my ultimate jam, right? Like uh-huh. I love Mage of the Ascension. You know, like it's not for me. It's never really been about maneuvering uh, miniatures on, you know, on a on a hex grid or a or a square grid but some of that's because i've never had good miniatures or a place to do that at all like i've never had the kitchen yes. table of size and this gives you that and not only do they give you that but they give you the hero hangout which is like a basement game shop um that has all these different accoutrements in it including a uh off-brand version of gauntlet that you can play uh inside um you could plushy. you could grab bows and arrows and like stand on the line and see who can get the best score in regards to it yeah and like browse such- and look at like the other games like you pick them up like their catalogs there's books that have a lot of like lore built into them which is like you've really got cool. basically your monster manuals in there so you get all uh-huh. the stats on the characters um there's a there is a table so the thing that we did and that i want to encourage people to to watch out for doing particularly they're going to play the two-player version when we first played we met in the hero hangout and we um we we grabbed the module off the shelf and dropped it on the table and and logged in the game that way so word of the wise that is only for full four player groups. Yes. You do not want to do that. You do not want to do what Patrick and I did, which is we played, we made two attempts <laughs> on that, on the first level of that module and got, got TPK <laughs> because we were two guys facing off what should have been a, 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 a battle for four. Right. So like we were not ready. Uh, you can only do 
the the two player mode in the normal game interface and it and it is a it is different pathways even the room codes are different kinds are different. of room codes mm-hmm. right like different interfaces for that but even then like some of the some of the stuff like the room codes uh there's a, there's a diegetic nature to it like you you pop out a cell phone and punch numbers in the cell phone there's also in the back of the hero hangout there's a, a separate room you can go into that allows you to paint miniatures. You have like four, four or five different models that you can sit down at a table with up to four people. And uh, I think it's just four, maybe it's more. Uh, and just sit around the table and paint miniatures. And that's actually the very first thing we did was to sit around yeah. the table and we're, was, we're painting and chatting. Yeah, and you, you had logged on earlier and you gave me the code to come to that specific Heroes Hangout. And you greet you. I I walked in and you greeted me and then you showed me around and you took me to the back and we sat down and you have were very much into it. Like you were working on like a bunch of like a little like egg miniature, but like it's like in a nest and you were like really getting in there. You had progressed a great deal. And I was yeah, watching in just like, a, in just a few minutes. I I hadn't done I'd only been there for a few minutes, but it was like really going ham on it. Um, and. I mean, I've, I've never been a miniatures painting guy, right? Like I had, I had a friend, I had a friend in high school who was so good at it that he could sell his finished miniatures at the local game store and his were like the best, right? So he'd get like, like if he wanted to make quick money, he'd, he'd buy an elementals D and D pack, paint it up, put it out at the store, make some cash and go on. Right. Um, he's a lighting designer these days, right? So like, yeah. dude, dude knows his colors. Um, and so like, there's, there's, um, th- there's just this wonderful sort of commitment to the bit when it comes to the aesthetics of a certain era of gaming, right down to mm-hmm. like what you're doing with this sort of D and D like game. So the, the actual game itself you log in, you, you pick your different guys, you can draw down from, uh, in the first level, you just have a standard deck of cards and those are your mm-hmm. powers. And so it's card-based powers, which is also how a lot of the actual tabletop games are going. And you pick up and move your characters around and the, and the, the computerized DM moves their characters around. So it's just the dungeon crawl part, right? Like you're not really doing a full role-playing game like you you could right like you if you wanted to you and your party could go full role play but there's there's just an automated dm so uh you'd be sort of half handing the story from what we could tell because another one of the fun things in the hangout area is that you can get a glimpse into the demio discord because there is a there's a slide projector like you know like one of the old like uh school slide projectors like beep beep ones that is that is projecting the discord <laughs> yeah like the, <laughs> or, the general channel with like the most recent comments and it's just like whirling there and things and stuff like that and it's it just really creates a great sense of what we've kind of been talking about in all these of community and you yeah. said it best in regards to i think what this what demio has done in this space really well is that you know right now everyone's trying to build their own metaverse like a very particular stylized thing that has like branding and stuff like that and that you you yourself have to customize yourself to it the the user the player and demio with this heroes hangout has just made a space 
available for anyone to use and hang out with and spend time in. Come in, yeah, have a good time, relax. And that's 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 the metaverse. It's just visiting a place that is meant for anyone to be used at any time. Pick up it's it's pick up and play. It's it's dedicated to this game. It's a specific thing, but you start to see like you start to get a feel like oh yeah, I could just I could just hang out here and and play this game. And you know, you can even imagine one day maybe there's a few different games from this company that use that core set or, or that uses that heroes hangout metaphor and uh-huh. like just open up different games. Like in the long run, I, I could see that Th- this idea of, I mean, people, the funny thing is people have been trying this for a while. They've been trying with like, Oh, let's create the virtual game room. Let's create the virtual arcade. Like we both played star Wars pinball and it was like, here's this room you have to go play pinball, but you, but you're by yourself. It's and you can floor. customize that room. Like that's the, that's the frustrating yeah. part is that you can like unlock these things and you can decorate it. You can change the carpet. You can put different posters up, but you, but can never you can't show it off anyone over. Yeah. 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 You can't, you can't do anything and you can't do any of that here in Demia. You cannot customize this space uh, to your own, but you can hang out with people and you can do things. You can do more than one kind of thing. But uh, one of the reasons why I mentioned the, the projector with the Discord was that it's clear that uh, it looks like PvP is on the roadmap, although I'm still not entirely sure if that means here's us not doing our homework, right? I don't know if that means <laughs> that it's going to be like player, literally player character versus player character or if it's going to be like squads of monsters versus squads of monsters. But you can feel that at some point they could unlock or they're, they're trying to, maybe they're trying to figure out how to unlock the game master mode. Right. Yes. Um, you know, uh, and maybe that'll only be like one V two, you know, because of concurrence, or maybe they'll go the full four V four V one. But, um, that idea that at some point this becomes, you know, a, a road to, Hey, let's have our session in Dimeo. You know, uh-huh. like I'll come up with a scenario and we'll play together. And look, when you're when you're in the actual map, there's fog of war. You know, you can't see what's going on in certain parts of the map. You've got to get line of sight, eye line. Yep. You do roll dice. Just don't let Patrick roll dice. Unfortunately, it forces oh roll god. dice. Really, like, at the oh, end, oh my god, at so the end, bad. that dice. That, yeah, oh god. He he crit failed. Like I think like five. You you did ultimately kill the main the final boss. You got the last hit yeah. on last boss. I'll give proper five, but like, like five in a row. It was five five crit failures in a row. Like I probably would have thrown the table if we were playing IRL. <laughs> you know, I would have just been like screaming in real life. Um, but but even I like, don't get to play D and D with anybody. Five minutes later, I would be throwing the table. <laughs> hmm, these things are related. Uh, but that's the experience because even so even like if you're if once you pick an adventure, whether it's through the main map or you are going to do it through the hero's hangout, it still teleports you to you're looking down at the table. But if you look it up around, you're in someone's basement and there's like the fake Super Nintendo plugged into the tube TV and there's boxes and there's an old like, you know, PC in the corner and things and stuff like that. And it's really finding a way to create something that we all a space that we all have been to or all are aware of and then finding a way to elevate it because of course when you move your pieces or when you throw a lamp or you do anything instead of it 
when you're playing in real life with the miniatures, you just move it onto the space and that's it. In this one, there's animation and there's all sorts of fun stuff and your, your characters talk and have catchphrases. And you could also zoom in and get really close so you can almost feel like you're in that hallway trapped with them. And I think that just once again, it's just like, that's what's so cool is that you're leaning in and you're an experience that you know and love and can enjoy is taken to a new height with Demio. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's a lot. And, and it takes a minute to get used to like the, the navigation metaphor that they're using, like the way you're like kind of stretching things and pushing and pulling. And, but then once, once you get it, you get it. Uh, Mm -hmm. to the point where I think I may have accidentally tried to do it in another virtual space, like (laughs) the next day and was like, Oh, right. That's not how that one works there. Right. Which goes to kind of talk about like, you know, the the overall metaphor for like how his presence happening across all, all of, all of these different games in time, but we're starting to kind of filter out and and shake that out. The one thing uh, is those room codes though, they're numeric room codes uh, I believe it's six digits for games and four digits for hangouts or reverse. Right? It's four digits yeah, for games. Like and that. Six, it's four digits for games and six digits for the hangouts, right? But then but the problem is is that uh they they are not persistent. Like your your miniatures are tied to your account. I like to say that Demio solved the NFT problem. Uh yes, you go you go into any painting room and you will find the miniatures you were painting no matter where you are, right? You know, across in- instances of Demio. But uh yeah, there, there's your virtual goods problem solved. Uh tie it to the account and we're done. Um Yes, I know it's more complicated than that, but let's be real. <laughs> I just want to take my miniatures with me. Um and then um uh but but those those numbers are going to be different every time. Like, uh, so it's not like walkabout where I could name my room and then people could use it while I'm not there or find me. Like when I'm there, if I just say, Hey, I'm going to be in my room or I'm going to be at my hangout, come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do find, I mean, it's, it's sort of funny because if you think of, you know, say you think of like alt space or or vr chat you know you can you can name a room uh or, or name a world but there will be multiple instances of that uh, of that right like they can only get so many people concurrently into those rooms uh but this idea of you know for for small loops of people or small communities of people having spaces they can go into that you know, if you know the password, you can get somewhere and it's persistent. Like that's the kind of thing I hope we see more of and and that we see more of these games that are engines for play, if you will. Because the other thing uh, that we haven't mentioned about Timio yet is while it's not a roguelike in the fullest sense in that, you know, your, your hero character's aren't leveling up um in a permanent way like a, within yeah. within a campaign you can unlock stats and they some characters do get stronger things like that but then if you start the like, second third or fourth campaign it you start at zero yeah and and you're mostly uh, you're mostly getting as you're playing through the three levels you're getting more cards right like you get you earn money you buy cards you strengthen your hand but it's 
but once you're out of that game session, that's all gone, right? Yeah. Like you may get cosmetic changes to to you, to your characters, to to the dice, to a few other things, but like everyone starts on a level playing ground each time. But every time you play a module, and again, because we figured it out the hard way, <laughs> it randomizes the level. So we could go back to the black sarcophagus and it would be different for mm-hmm. us. Uh, it would ultimately be the same, you know, story. Well, yeah. Like we're, yeah, we got to go through three levels that the last yeah. level is going to be the big boss. And, and we're going to face these types of guys. Like we know what yeah. kind of baddies we're going to face, but we don't know what the rooms are going to be. We don't, we don't entirely know what the progression is going to look like. And so there's replay value there. And, and that makes it more, that, that leans it on that board game side. Uh, but also with the strength of the board is different each time you play. Um, and which I guess what there's, there's some of the, some of the dungeon crawl board games do that as well. So it's, it's very much in that vein Uh and the glory of it being digital is like, oh yeah, like, you know, you know, just digital assets and making more versions of it without having to manufacture physical chits and pieces. Yeah. And keeping track of all sorts of like knickknacks and things and stuff like that. Don't have to I, put anything back in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. yeah. Like, cause it's, it's, it, it's stuck within the hot brick. <laughs> you just put the hot brick down off your face. <laughs> it's all in my hot brick. Um, <laughs> which is why we're, we're so pleased to announce we've got a hardware announcement, hot brick VR. Oh, Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, uh, start investing now. We take all forms of cryptocurrency. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All of them. Are there any left? I don't even uh, know. That, that, I don't even know. Talk about, some, talk, talk about something that doesn't make sense to be in life. Yeah. Talk, talk about something that involves like hot bricks. Let me tell you. <laughs> hot uh, bricks I could talk about. Crypto, I can't. Well, all the bricks in LA are hot because of the heat, and that's all because of the crypto. Uh, distri- d- d- anyway, environmental <laughs> impact reports, not good. Not good. Uh, sorry, yeah. folks who are big in the NFT world. You know it's bad, and I'm, I'm not going to harp on it anymore. But do you hear those harp strings? Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, long and the short of it, uh, we're really hyped on Demio. And, uh, you know, we're just two nerds looking for people to play Demio with. So if you <laughs> want to come play Demio with us, swing on by the NoPro Discord, drop into the all new The Game Room channel, which is the evolution of our Walkabout Mini Golf Tour uh, channel, where we just did labyrinth and now it's a pick up and play space for all kinds of immersive gaming uh if you want to find some people to do some uh online escape rooms you want to find some people to do escape from soderberg you could do that there in the game room if you want to find people to do a murder mystery zoom party with hey come on down to the game room if you want to party with patrick and me inside the virtual basement that is demio Come over to come over to our basement. You want to do yeah. it? It'll be fun. Yeah. Come on, come on down to the game room. Um, right there in the NoPro Discord. <sighs> All right, Patrick. Anything else uh, in the great land of immersive gaming uh, on your mind at the moment before we we let everyone off for for the rest of their Labor Day weekend? No, I think I think what's just really I've been excited about is that I've really engaged with a bunch of games lately that have really kind of thought about the player, whether it's the role they are 
having an experience or whether it's the world in which they're inhabiting. And I'm very excited to like, and I hope that this is, there's more to come. I hope this is the only the beginning that Demio and Walkabout Golf, and there's going to be more of them. Like we know there are, there's the bowling VR experience. There's poker ones where you can just drop in games and things and stuff like that. But I really hope that the simplicity of those drop-in type of sport experiences can be matched with this Demio-like community space and really thinking about that and really creating places that people can jump together and hang out instantaneously and start having a good time. Whether that might be even just sitting around and chatting and talking with someone you haven't seen in a while. Fantastic. I have one more note from the gaming space uh, for this weekend, particularly for those of you who are blessed enough to have Game Pass. Yes, Microsoft Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass, uh, including the PC version. Uh, Sam Barlow's latest game. Sam Barlow is the creator of Her Story, amongst other things. Um, and and Sam Barlow's games uh, for the last few have involved these uh sort of treasure troves of video footage that you uh, sift through uh, in the past two games. It has been uh, through a keyword search metaphor for his latest game called uh, immortality. uh, You're actually uh, no longer using the keyboard that way, but the the idea is that you are operating a, a moviola style machine, but also matching images, clicking on images and then finding uh, being led to another piece of footage uh, that's that that is somehow related uh, visually, rhyming like poetry, as you piece together um, the mystery of this uh, this actress who almost was a superstar, uh, who had these three legendary films, each of which was never released for uh, some mysterious reason. Uh, taking place from like 1969 to 1999 Um, all played uh, played by the same actress. That's that's a little, little odd 30 years. Uh, Well, not necessarily, but looks a little odd. Maybe there's there's something going on. I don't know. I haven't finished the game yet. So I'm just wildly speculating. (laughs) Um, Feels like that's feels like that. You really, you weren't trying to be subtle. You were just like, I just, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and like, I have my theories. It's causing me a theory. Like I, it's one of those things. Where like it's this. It was this just convenience of production, or is this thematic somehow? Um, there's some. There's some weird vibes to this thing. There's also some major content warnings, uh, and indeed the content warnings are like in the package. But like, uh, there's there's nudity, there's sex, there's there's violence, there's some pretty heavy themes. Uh, some of these things are Legoed together. You can imagine that. Uh, so it's definitely not for everybody, uh, but it's a very, very, very fascinating, uh, really getting a lot of buzz uh, in, in gaming sites and on, on any gaming scene. And the reason why talking about it here is that it it's doing that narrative elasticity thing. It's doing that relational narrative thing that immersive gaming does so definitely worth checking out if you're curious particularly if you have game pass because then it costs you nothing um this is also going to it's not there yet but it will be coming to android and ios uh and when it does so 
It will really? be coming under the auspices of Netflix. It is part of Netflix's gaming initiative, a thing most people don't know about. But if you have a Netflix account, there are certain games you can download. How do you find that out? Don't entirely understand it myself. Uh, <laughs> apparently, maybe if you type Netflix into the app store, you'll find things that aren't just the Netflix app. Um, I believe or the knockoff. Yeah. <laughs> don't uh, don't click those. Don't click those. Uh I, I do know for instance there's a great uh game that came out for the uh the uh Nintendo Switch a few years ago and, and PC called Into the Breach that is available via this Netflix program. Uh, apparently less than or just about one percent of all Netflix users have engaged with Netflix's games program. Will it last forever? Probably not. Uh I'm always cynical about uh uh, you know, half of Netflix's uh, initiatives. Um, I haven't been cynical about their live immersive stuff, if only because they they seem to be doing really well and yeah. they serve the purpose of keeping the the shows in people's minds when there's no show going on. So that seems to be working out really well for them. But here's this opportunity with a, a very interesting and indeed, you know, this is a this is a game about movies. You can kind of piece together three films as part of it um and uh, i don't know if you get the full runtime of them but you can piece together a lot of it as part of it and it's it's gonna be there on ios and android and if you have if you're a netflix subscriber you'll be able to get them for for nothing so um keep an eye out for that or with it being on game pass give it a try there if you just want to dip your toe in uh or if you are were already a fan of her story i think telling lies was the other one then of course you probably already knew it was coming out but if you had missed the memo it's out it's immortality and it's on all the major gaming platforms at the moment aside from mobile but it, it'll be there soon they're they're finishing up I was just thinking, can we legally call this episode an immersive theater podcast episode? We've talked so much about games. <laughs> what? We talk about all things immersive. We don't have to just talk True. about it. That's it is yeah. everything immersive. You're right. The website's called everything I, immersive. I'm thinking too narrowly. Yeah. I'm always arguing with you guys about that. It's like all expansive. <laughs> expansive. Um yeah. If anything, the, the the real thing is is like we got to get some of these like higher end immersive gaming experiences onto the EI site, but that that requires people typing to keyboards, and keeping up with all that work is not easy. All right. On that note, unless someone wants to volunteer, uh, always always willing to take volunteers with the content line. Um, so there you go, uh, Patrick. Thanks for uh, thanks for swinging by and and spending you know almost half of a Demio session with me. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, maybe next time let's just spend the time doing Demio. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, uh, we're, we're looking for a pair. So uh, looking for mixed doubles there in, uh, in old Demio. So give us a holler. That's it for this week's show. I want to thank Jessica, Eve, and Patrick for being our guests. Hey, uh, this has been a, a really long one, and indeed it is really hot. And I had something interesting I was going to say, but then my computer overheated. <laughs> I had to wait to record this part. So 
I just want to wish you a, a good Labor Day weekend if you are here in the States. And if you're outside of the States and listening to this, I hope uh, you are keeping cool if you're on the Northern Hemisphere and in that you're keeping warm if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. That's how that, is that how it works right now? I don't know. I just know it's hot enough to stop the computer from working. Okay. <laughs> Let's do the credits. I, I feel like there is something. Like there's something I'm supposed to tell you, and I can't remember what it is because my brain doesn't work. Here we go with the credits. The associate producer of No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Shivano Lachlan for voicing our intro. And the podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I actually read the thing this time. Uh, I'm Noah Nelson. Until next time, give me one second to see if I remember what that thing was. Nope. I'll see you at the show. Mm-hmm.